if you'd like to read along with me, I'm in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27 and going all the way down to 47. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye. When you, do not yourself, when, you do, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your, in your eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see to clearly take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. that again just a moment. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, great. Okay. Good to uh, see you all. Um, welcome to church. So there's many faces that I'm not uh, familiar with. Great to see you here today. My name is, yes, Murray John Colville. <laughs> Tis my middle name. Could be worse. <laughs> Let's not do a survey. Um, <laughs> John's a great name. There's a few Johns here. Anyway. 
Uh, question, so how are we different to how we were last year, 12 months ago? Uh, compared to me last year, I know a lot more um, about YouTube and streaming and editing, all those kinds of things, thanks to COVID. Uh, compared to this time last year, I care a lot more about my, my grass, my lawn, um, which is why it's actually very sad that it looks like that at the moment. I think that's just me getting older. I'm not sure what it is why I care, but I care more, and that's why that's distressing to me. Anyway... Uh, it's hard to remember, though, hard to remember uh, what you're like 12 months ago. We have kind of a, a helpful memory lodging thing this year, don't we? March last year, let's not do that again. Uh, but as we, as we go through the, the year and as we go through the years of our life, uh, how are we changing? Should we be changing year to year in some deep kind of way? Uh, last year, we asked you to fill in a spiritual health check during Vision Month, and one question was this. And the question was, how do you describe the growth of your faith over the past year? And the results are here on, on the screen. 34% people said much growth, 57 said some growth, 9% said no growth. I wonder if you remember filling this survey in or surveys like it. Um, perhaps when you find these questions, you find it hard, like I do. Do you find it hard? <laughs> How do you measure spiritual growth or the growth of my faith over a whole year? Should I have experienced much growth? Some growth okay? Um, no one gave me a growthometer to, to track all this through the year. But what if there was no growth? I mean, that sounds like a problem. Is it my problem? Is it your problem? Is it my problem? Pastor's problem? Is it your growth group leader's problem? They didn't grow you enough? Do you need to be changing? What's the goal? Will we ever get there? It's a tricky question, isn't it? I wonder if you find it as hard as I do. What change, what transformation are we called to in our Christian life? How do we know if we're getting there? Today we're looking at this idea of transformation in the Christian life. Now last week, if you were here, we started this series called uh, Walking with Jesus and I said the, an- the aim was that, as, that we were to be Jesus' disciples. That was the word I used, uh, disciples. Um, that's our relationship with Jesus. The first disciples, I said, were those who walked with Jesus to become like Jesus and we too are called to walk with Jesus to become like Jesus. Last week I promised I'd talk more about what this becoming like Jesus was all about, because that's, that's the goal of transformation, to become like Jesus. And we're going to sit with the first disciples and listen to Jesus as he teaches in Luke chapter 6. We're going to think through this goal of transformation, maybe our commitment to transformation, whether we can track it or not. We're going to look at, um, at the, at the the teaching of Jesus, we're going to look at some of the kind of their theology that underpins all that. And I think this is a really important idea. It's really important because the chances are, like, well, we, we do have a way of tracking our faith, often. And often the way we do it's pretty bad at, at best and dangerous at worst. Let me tell you what I mean. Now, see, many of us kind of assess our Christian life in this way, Right? You have in mind that, that one thing, that one big sin or temptation or struggle you have, anger, pride, lust, bad language, or whatever it is that, 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 that struggle for you, and this thing looms in your life, and so you sit here in these chairs at the end of the week, and you, you think back and go, it's been a good week. 
I haven't done that thing very much or at all. My Bible reading is good, my prayer is good, so my faith is strong. I feel close to God, I'm at peace, I'm totally a Christian. On the other hand, you look back and see this week, I might have been a fail. You slipped, you fell, you have regrets, you can't remember where you put your Bible, your iPhone listed as an unused app. (laughs) Your faith feels weak, your growth is going backwards, God feels distant, am I even a Christian at all, you might think. That's a pretty normal way we assess our Christian walk. Um, And it's pretty bad, it's dangerous, and it's unhelpful. We end up judging our faith on our performance. And basically, our last week's performance. And if we perform okay, we'll feel good, we'll be filled with pride, we're better than other people. If we feel like we failed, we'll feel bad, we might think we're worse than other people. But, But we've got to keep remembering, this is not what Jesus kind of calls us to, is it? The Gospel, it's not about being good enough for Jesus, it's what Jesus has done for us. It's not about our performance. The Gospel is not about our performance, but yet we're called to change. We're called to transformation and holiness. It's not about our performance, but we are called to, to change. How, how, do, how do these things fit together? How do those two things fit together? You see, you see the problem? I hope you see the problem. We're going to start back in Luke. We're going to join the disciples as Jesus uh, teaches them. Now, if you have um, your Bibles open, we're going to flick a little bit, just catch up to where we were from last week. Last week, we met the first um, disciples, those fishermen, uh, Peter, Andrew, James and John. What a good name, John. And, um, and Jesus starts to turn their world upside down, right? If you were here last week, you would have seen that they looked and saw everything that they owned, their livelihood, their treasure, their jobs, their family. And then Jesus shows them something better. He says, come follow me. He shows himself as Lord. He calls them to a better work. Instead of catching fish, they will catch people, give them the message of life. And so they they follow him, they walk with him, and he continues to turn their world upside down. Even if you just skim through uh, Luke 5 and 6, you'll see um, Jesus uh, touching the untouchables, the the, the lepers, and and healing them. He heals a paralyzed man. He forgives his sins. Who can can do both those things, heal and forgive? There's a, a hated, hypocritical tax collector, and Jesus calls him to be a disciple. Jesus shows their Sabbath rules, which have been oppressive and heavy, that they're actually for their good, not a burden. Jesus turns the world upside down, the disciples are watching. Jesus models it with his actions and he teaches it with his words. And and he sits down there at the beginning of Luke chapter 6 to teach. It's one of the famous uh, sermons, but he's really teaching his disciples and there's a whole crowd around them. And he says, in the world where I'm the king, things are different to what you expect. Luke 6 opens with these verses, I'm not going to read them all, but it's it's those Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry and the oppressed. They're not usually the blessed in our world, are they? But but woe to the rich and the full and the, the popular. You see how, I'm not going to unpack it too much, but what he's doing is turning the world Upside down, he's declaring revolution. Nothing is the same anymore. And in this world, in this upside down, crazy world where things are back to front to what we're used to, where Jesus is king, how should we live? 
Jesus says this to his disciples. Verse 27. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He goes on, you know, turn the other cheek. If someone takes from you, don't expect anything back. Give them more stuff even. Verse 31, you can read it, but it's, it's, it's that golden rule. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Now just press pause on the story just for a moment and, and just come back here. Now imagine for a second that, that you're one of those listening to Jesus back then. Now we read these words and who's surprised by them today? Not really anyone really. We're not surprised Jesus says, turn, uh, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Why? We've heard it before. Many of us probably have heard this kind of stuff before. But, but for the disciples sitting there listening then, this is just nuts, right? This is so countercultural. It's upside down. Jesus is calling for a transformation of their worldview and of their society. We've heard it before, yeah? So we're not that surprised. Oh yeah, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, sure. But if you're honest, and we think about it, it's still pretty countercultural, isn't it? Really, on a deep level. It should still be surprising. Even for you and I, it's still kind of upside down, isn't it? I mean, think about it this way. If you had to give yourself a score, right, out of 10, for loving your enemies, how'd you go? This is anonymous. What about doing for others what you'd have them do for you? Out of 10, how'd you go? We know we should do these things, don't we? we I mean, if, we if you're a Christian, you've been in church for a while, this is kind of like, we know, we love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you. Why is it still so hard for us to do? I'm just going to let you kind of stew on that as we hop back into the story and this teaching. Because Jesus, he's just cranking up the heat. Verse 32 to uh, 34 um, it's basically saying it's not good enough to do what everyone else does. It's not good enough to just be like everyone else. Love those who love you, do good to those who are good and lend to those who will pay back. That's just so normal, he says. That's common morality in our normal way up world. Everyone does that. But I'm not calling you to just being good like everyone else who does it because, you know, that makes the world work. I'm calling you to something more. And it does feel like it's too much, if we're honest, don't you think? It seems too hard. It seems too big. But I think just like last week, remember, we saw the disciples uh, make, a, make a hard choice, a choice that seemed too hard to follow Jesus. But as we saw, they left their boats for something better. They made a hard choice to get something better. And so what Jesus is saying, yeah, it looks hard, but what I'm calling you to is actually better. Live this way, it is better. Verse 35, But love your enemies, do what is good, lend expecting nothing in return, then what? Then your reward will be great. You'll be children of the Most High, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The question is, why live this way? Well, because your reward will be great. 
God is what God offers is worth more than anything you might lose to someone who's trying to rip you off. Anything an enemy can do, Jesus says, is incomparable to what you get as a child of the Most High. And we can live this way too. We can live this way too because it's our story as well. Jesus says, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. It says that God is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Do you know any ungrateful and evil people? Well, how about me? And how about you? He's gracious to people like us, and so we can live in grace towards others. Radical grace from God to us empowers this radical life that we're called to. Be full of mercy. How? Just as your Father has been merciful to you. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. So, if you kind of want to summarize the life that Jesus is calling his disciples to, I wonder what word you'd use to, to describe this, this, this shape of this life. What is it like? Uh, I think it's a gospel life. It's a good news-shaped life. You and I, in our evilness and our ungratefulness, can be shown mercy. And from that mercy, we can live, showing mercy to others. It's, a, it's like a mirror reflecting the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's what we're called to. And he just goes on to flesh it out. I'm not going to go through it in great detail, but he just keeps spelling it out. If you don't want to be judged and condemned the way you deserve, then don't be those who judge and condemn, and, and so on and so on. It's a call to a gospel-shaped life. It reflects what Jesus has done for us. Has Jesus done for us? What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve, but in grace and love deals with that evil at the cost of his own life on the cross. So we can be restored to Him, the one who made us and loves us. That's the truth. That's the reality. That's the gospel-shaped life. Jesus turns ups, things upside down. Why? To bring the world in line with this deeper truth. He's calling for lives shaped by gospel truths. Now, hit pause again. Stop for a moment. Take a breath. Got a question for you. What's... What's the big difference, right, between us and between the disciples listening to Jesus? What's the big difference between us and the disciples listening to Jesus? Anyone want to give it a go? Sorry? The cross, exactly. I've been using this word gospel and gospel-shaped life, but what would the disciples think about that? What are you talking about? They don't know yet how Jesus will bring his kingdom into reality. They don't know that their path will lead to the cross. So you see how it's different for us and for them? They, we, we know the whole story. If you, if, you, if you know the story of Jesus, you know the story. They don't know that the cross is coming. And so in a way, we kind of have a massive advantage over the disciples in this moment. And the disciples just see a world gone nuts and gone upside down. They don't quite see how it all works together yet. So when Jesus calls us to gospel-shaped lives, it must be far easier for us, eh, than for them to live the way that we should. Is that right? We know the full story, yeah? So it must be simpler for us to not be judgmental and easier for us to love our enemies. We know the whole story, yeah? 
Easy to remember the benefits of being God's children. Easy for us to show mercy. You're kind of going, well, hang on. (laughs) Not really. We know we're saved, we're trusted in Jesus, but all too often our lives are not gospel-shaped. Now, I'm sure that's not just me. Our lives often don't look like how Jesus is asking them to look in Luke 6. We belong to Jesus, but do our lives show it in that way? If we're called to this kind of life, we're called to transformation, to some sort of change. How does this happen? Can you, see, can you feel the problem? I feel like I'm just painting a problem. <laughs> I hope you can see it. I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to zoom out of the story. We're going to step back and we're going to just think about some of the stuff that's going on underneath this for us. We're going to get into a little bit of theology. I hope that's okay with you. We're going to zoom back to look at what's going on underneath and then we're going to zoom back into the story to get the solution. We're going to talk about the problem a bit and we're going to dig into it a bit. We're going to need, need some of our big words that end in shun. You know those words? There's a, there's a song, Big Words That End in Shun, that kind of, for kids, explains all kinds of different bits of theology. Anyway, in theological terms, we're gonna, what we have here is a tension between our justification, yeah, justification and our sanctification. So let me explain. Stay with me. We'll, we'll get there. Our justification, what's that? It's the reality that, of, that when we trust in Jesus, He saves us, we're brought into His kingdom, we become His children, we're declared not guilty, we are justified, that's our justification, that's true, our sins are forgiven, justified, and our sanctification, that's the kind of, this, this, this holiness process, this, this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, the way we grow, the way we change to reflect what we should be as children of God, sanctified, holified, you might say. Sanctification, the progress towards being like Jesus. And remember, that's the goal of our discipleship, to be like Jesus. So what's the relationship between justification, being made right, and sanctification, growing in our lives that that look like that? The link between us being saved and the way we live. And we kind of started looking at just Jesus' words here, right? Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Because your Father has been merciful to you, because He's justified you, live in mercy, grow in sanctification. What's the link? How do we go from one to the other? I'm saved to living a holy life. All right, option one. We know the truth, and therefore we decide to do the right thing. Simple, right? But I've asked you this before, you know, we know the golden rule, we know it, we treat others like we, ought to be, we want to be treated, but we don't do it. Is knowing the link? I don't think so. And this is very interesting to think about right now in terms of our society and our world. If you've looked at the news at all this week, it's pretty bad, isn't it? It's, pretty, it's, a, it's a pretty big condemnation of our society as a whole. It's saturated with stories of abuse, isn't it, at the moment? Particularly sexual abuse. You know, there's allegations everywhere from high schools to parliamentary offices at the moment. We've seen the exposés in the film industry. We've seen the investigations into church organisations everywhere, yeah? And I, it's very important to say this is an issue at all for you, whether as a, as a victim, as someone who potentially thinks you might be expressing abusive behaviour yourself. Please talk to me. Please call 1-800-RESPECT if, you, if that's 
helpful, that's very important to, to do. But when it comes to this issue of knowing the right thing to do, and then doing the right thing to do, I think if you asked any of these people who are the, the perpetrators in these stories, or alleged perpetrators, whether it's a year 10 student, or a politician, or a priest, if you ask them, right, is it okay to sexually abuse someone else, yes or no, what they say? Say no. People know what they should and shouldn't do, generally. It's not simply a matter of, uh, of knowing more, or being educated. Now, I know there's the call for more education in schools about this, and I think that's really worth doing. I think schools and parents and churches really should do their best to teach respectful, appropriate relationships. And if it helps at all, then it's a great thing. I'm totally for that. But it is a deeper problem, isn't it? It's a deeper problem than just knowing right from wrong. And in our world that's kind of fought for sexual freedom and, 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 and harnessed sex for advertising and for media and for money-making and for music and whatever, I mean, of course kids are confused about what's right and wrong, don't you think? It's no surprise this happens all over the place. It's, it's, it's a deep problem which education hopefully will help. But that's only part of it. But I think, I think we reap what we've sowed in our society. But even if people know what they're doing is wrong, in their minds, at some level, there's a deeper problem than just knowing right from wrong. There's something more powerful than, than knowledge, than our brains. And we see it out there and we see it in, in ourselves. Something more powerful than our mind and our will, and that's our hearts. Our hearts. Jesus says it himself. It gets into verse 43. We jump forward a little bit. He he says that a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. Down to verse 45. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in their heart. An evil produ person produces evil from the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Our words and our actions flow from our hearts. So the link between what we do, <clears throat> what we should do, and what we actually do is our heart. What we desire is more powerful. What we long for, what we fear, what we pride, that beats what we know every time. The heart is the link. No, a, a schoolboy's heart desires acceptance, power, or pleasure in these terrible stories. Their heart fears rejection, ridicule, and shame, and so they do terrible things. What we desire and long for, what we fear, what we pride, this beats what we know every time. The heart is the link. And so even for us, it's the link between our justification and our sanctification, I think. As we are saved by Jesus, what does he do? It doesn't just change what we know, it changes what we love. It changes what we love. Our sanctification, our life, follows from our justification only as our hearts are actually changed. Our lives are transformed only as our hearts are transformed by Jesus. Our lives will only change as our hearts are changed. And right, there's a massive danger here of getting this backwards, yeah? Never get it back. We all get it backwards all the time, but don't do this. We think that we're saved because of what we do. We're justified because of our sanctification. No, no. We're not saved because we had a good week or a bad week in terms of our sin. 
That's getting it wrong. That's getting it backwards. Don't do that. We don't live right so Jesus saves us, but we don't get sanctified so we can be justified. No, our lives flow from the truth that Jesus calls us his own. Sanctification flows from justification. And so as our hearts are changed, so our lives are changed too. As our hearts are changed, so we can be transformed. And as disciples of Jesus, we're committed to this transformation. This new life, this new conduct, is, he calls his disciples to it, he calls it to us as well. And how our hearts change? Well, as we see who Jesus is, what he does, as we see Jesus more clearly, that's how our hearts change and our lives are changed. The disciples, they don't see the full picture yet, we get to. But even as we see Jesus in this moment teaching his disciples, we get a glimpse a foretaste of how he changes hearts. We get a glimpse of what he wants us to do. Jesus lands this story with some application. There's going to be our application points too. There's two short parables, two picture ideas that Jesus talks about this, this process of heart change. And he calls us to, surprise, surprise, walk with Jesus and also to dig out and kill our sin. Application one, walk with Jesus to be like Jesus. Jesus tells them the parable, can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. If we want to live this life Jesus calls us to, who do we follow? Each other? Our society? Well, no, it's like one blind person saying to another blind person, come follow me down this path we've never been on before. It's not going to end well. But if we want to be like Jesus, we'll be his disciples. And what does this say very clearly? Disciples walk with, through their life with their teacher and so become like their teacher. We will walk with Jesus. This is the aim for discipleship, to be like Jesus. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. We walk with Jesus if we want our hearts to be changed, if we want our hearts to become like his heart. And how do we do this? We, 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 we see Jesus, we walk with him as we see him in action through the scriptures, as God speaks to us through his word, we walk with Jesus. As we, as we read, as we respond in prayer, as we build that relationship with Jesus, we walk with Jesus. That happens by ourselves with our Bibles and in prayer. It happens in growth group. It happens as we sit under God's word together at church. We walk with Jesus. But it's not just those formal moments of, of your quiet time or your church time or growth group. No, Jesus promises to be with you all the time. Surely I'll be with you till the very end of the age, he says. He promises to be with us by his spirit. His spirit lives in you if you trust in him. So, in a sense, every moment of your life is spent walking with Jesus. And as you grow an awareness of that, his spirit will have result in your life. We use the language of the spirit bearing fruit in your life. That makes sense. It's just the result, outcome, change will happen. With his spirit in us, will transform us, we'll see the fruit of the spirit in our lives. What's the fruit of the spirit? Next one, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That's, this, is the, this is the practical heart change stuff. This is the stuff we're looking at in our lives. It's the stuff we're called to by Jesus in Luke 6 in slightly different words, right? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Be, be patient with them, with those who rip you off. The, the Luke 6 one is like, is like fruit of the Spirit on steroids, right? It's, a, it's kind of the application of, of what this looks like in a real life. It's what we're called to as we walk with Jesus. As we change our hearts, this is the fruit of our lives as we become like our teacher. Application one, walk with Jesus to be like Jesus. Our hearts will be like his too. And really briefly, application two, deal with your sin. It's only very brief, but there's that really famous parable that, that Jesus says about getting that plank of wood out of your own eye before you can get the speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye. It's a very powerful image if you think about it. And it's saying, yes, yeah, sure, help someone else with their sin, their issues, yes, but you better be aware of your own sin, your own issues. Be dealing with that too. If we're not aware of our sin and we don't care about our own sin, then we're in danger, especially if we're trying to help someone else. Like I talked about last week, I talked about last week, I said, be aware of your sin, see it clearly. Bring it to Jesus, work at chopping it out, knowing you have a great and forgiving Saviour. Walk with Jesus, chop out your sin. It's a repeated theme in the New Testament. Over and over again, we see it. Hebrews 12, cast off every weight and sin, fix your eyes on Jesus. Colossians 3, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated. Walk with him. Put together what belongs to your earthly nature. Romans 8, set your mind in the spirit, put to death the flesh. It's a, it's a cycle, isn't it? The more we walk with Jesus, the more we will hate our sin. The more we see our sin, the more we'll see our need for Jesus and love what he's done to free us from it. That's how hearts are changed, yeah? This is the method of, of heart change. This is gospel renewal. This is grace renewal, not willpower renewal, not keeping the rules and learning more renewal. This is grace renewal. I feel like I've just kind of, you know, I don't know what the word is, but just, uh, uh, there's so much below this. There's so much that this goes into. This is kind of just seeing a little bit on the surface, the tip of the iceberg. There's so much to say about our hearts and what we love and on the deceitfulness of our heart and, and how to put sins to death and how our hearts to be reordered and to live in the gospel. But I think you've probably had enough for this morning already. And to be honest, this is our lifetime project, yeah? This is what I want every time I preach. This is what I want to be doing. To see Jesus more clearly. To understand the depth and power and reality and beauty of our justification through his death in our place. And that may transform our hearts to walk with him, to put our sin to death. To have our hearts changed that our desires and behaviours and actions and lives become more and more like Jesus, shaped like Jesus. That we'll think and act and live and love more and more like Jesus. That's a lifetime project, isn't it? But as disciples, you and I, is this the kind of transformation we're committed to, the kind of growth we want for our whole lives? Are you committed to this kind of heart change that, lives, that goes into life change too? All right, let's wrap this up. We talked about, um, last week, we, noticed, we talked about looking back at the past week and going, how's my faith going? And we realised that that's not a great thing to do. <laughs> but interesting, think about this. Think about over the last 12 months, uh, what change have you seen in yourself? Here's a, a, a powerful question or two for you, perhaps a diagnostic to see if you are committed to this transformation, um, to see if you're uh, committed to God working in your life in this way. The question is simply, 
Uh, over the past year, have the people who know you best seen the fruit of your life in Jesus? Lived with Jesus. Are you committed to walking to him? Oh, more clearly, would the people who know me best agree that over the past year I have grown more loving and caring, inwardly peaceful, joyful, patient and self-controlled? Would they say I'm improving in these areas? In the fruit of the Spirit? And then that second question, bonus question, am I willing to commit to walk with Jesus, especially through Bible reading and prayer, but with the aim of becoming more like Him? With that aim. Look, I hope that's encouraging for you. I hope that's challenging. I hope that's kind of helping us draw a framework for what we want to be doing together as, as a church. This is, my, this is my job. This is my life. To be helping us change our hearts. I'll start with myself and hopefully lead in that as well. I want you just to ponder that question just for, just for a minute. I'm going to sit down and let you do that. And then Sam in a moment will come up and just pray. And we'll head into our next song. Just a few minutes or just a minute. Think about that for yourself.